There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening, my friends, and welcome. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show. I'm going to say a very quick thank you to our sponsor. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do America Can We Talk without them. So grateful. So, again, greetings and welcome to our first five. Many of you may have heard or seen in the news that there were the uh, so-called women's marches in America yesterday. They were in uh, cities around the country, and, um, you know, they were uh, well attended by most accounts. But I want to talk to you about this idea of them, the organizers, calling this a women's march. And I said so-called women's march for a reason. I have a huge problem with that. Is it, a, it is a deceptive label. It is, it's like a deceptive label in any product would be. These women's marches, now I'm not talking, to be clear, about the pro-life marches. We'll be talking about those later in the show. I'm talking about the alleged women's marches. And the reason I say they are deceptively labeled, because what they were, what they were marching for were left-wing political goals. These were leftist marches. These were not women's marches. And they were for left-wing causes, in some cases very left-wing. Oh, I ran into a friend last night at a political function, and she said to me, Nothing that those women were marching for, I don't, I don't agree with any of it, and I don't know anyone who does. And the reason I'm really bothered by this is women's marching. There are a lot of reasons why it matters. But I want to start by just reading you a very short, this is the message from the Women's March organizers, what they stand for. This is their mission statement in short. The mission of the Women's March is to harness the political power of diverse women and their communities to create transformative social change or a women-led movement providing intersectional education and committed to dismantling systems of oppression. Oh, please spare me. They don't even speak English. But when you go beyond their mission statement and they list the things that they stand for— their vague policy demands uh, in all sorts of arenas, the environment and criminal justice, just endless list of, of their demands. And they kind of, I, I gel them down into two things. They are demands for government-paid, taxpayer-funded, everything. I mean, everything you can think of, taxpayer-funded. And the other one is they are really a demand that America accept as normal and real and right left-wing social views on every subject. You know, and the other thing about it is, since they claim to be women's marches, what they're really doing is saying, we stand for all women in America, and they don't. Now, if they had called this rally, for example, a pro-choice rally, or a, an amnesty rally for amnesty for the DACA and the Dreamers, or any other political issue, then they could have a discussion. But they didn't. Their, their march was just as vague uh, as I have been characterizing on this show, blather speak about the American left. Uh, but they all are just designed to in, in, um, to have disdain for America, a, a, paint a picture of America, very negative, very bad. And the, one of the reasons they label this a women's march is what they're trying to say is if anybody watching this march, if you agree with, disagree with anything the women's marchers had to say, if you disagree with anything they think, then you are anti-woman. 
This is why they labeled this a woman's march and not a amnesty march or a pro-abortion march or any other issue that they have. It's a very deceptive and intentionally manipulative labeling by the left of these marches. These are not marches for women. And I want to tell you my bottom line point to take away about these marches because it's so important that savvy women, patriotic women, speak up. Number one, women do not think alike. This is real discrimination, real bigotry. The idea that women's march leaders claim that they can tell you because you're a woman what you're supposed to believe. That's offensive, it's bigoted, and it's discrimination in in a real form. Second, millions of women disagree with the left-wing views on many subjects, on abortion, on amnesty for illegal aliens, for free taxpayer-funded birth control, for uh, free taxpayer-funded abortion services, dozens and dozens of issues. Intelligent women disagree with the left-wing view, and this march, again, was for left-wing views, not for America. Third, Perpetual outrage is the goal of these kind of marches. In fact, Linda Sarsour, the Muslim woman who's one of the heads of the Women's March, she actually had a statement out about this march saying, we started in 2017 with perpetual outrage, and now we're at the moment when we have perpetual outrage plus a plan in place for 2018, which is basically they want to win the midterms. But this perpetual outrage, you should see it, we all should see it, as a manipulation of women. It is so insulting that we're just told, get lathered into a frenzy and get angry and and then sign on with everything we say. This manufacturing outrage is actually demeaning to women. It takes away from the ability to have an intelligent conversation about the issues that really matter. And that's the worst problem of this whole left-wing women's march. And that is this. It further polarizes America. It stifles and truly diminishes and maybe even eliminates the possibility of intelligent discussion about the issues we face as a nation and how to solve them. Instead, you're supposed to get on the I'm mad bandwagon or else you're a bad guy. You know, folks, this kind of stuff goes on the left all the time. And the only way to counter is to be smarter than they are. And that's why I hope you're tuning into my show, America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We come back from our break. We're going to talk about what Senegal has to do with the shutting down of government in Washington. Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. See, I want to tell you, especially if you're listening to the show on Facebook Live, we are, we capture every segment and shut it down and then start off the next segment. So when we get to the end of this segment, if you'd like to hear the next one, go back to our Facebook page for America Can We Talk and be able to see the next segment. I should try to say that at the end of my segments, but I somehow forget. Okay, so in the first segment, I was mentioning to you, I just think this is really important, especially for women. You know, my show used to be called Ladies Can We Talk, and then I moved it over to calling it America Can We Talk, because I really am speaking to everyone. But I do think women have a vital, vital role 
in being responsible and nurturing about this country and playing a more and more active role politically. And this is among the many reasons I'm so offended by the title Women's March, which is entirely designed to push the left-wing political agenda in this country. It is not to push women or women's issues. And it's insulting to have women out there claiming to speak on behalf of all women when I would guess on many issues the majority of women do not agree with them. That's just bothersome, and we need to not let them, the American left, have that label. But I want to turn now and talk about what's happening in Washington. And again, it kind of ties into this. Uh, I want to talk to women especially about this issue and recognize how much power and, and responsibility we have as American citizens. In Washington right now, at least as of today, you know, Sunday, January 21st, at least of today, uh, the government is in a shutdown. And just so you know, we're going to talk later in the show about what that does and doesn't mean. But this entire shutdown in Washington, just so you're clear about it, this relates to not having a, uh, a authorization to spend money. And this spending bill was put in place, the Democrats got pretty much everything they wanted, everything they wanted, except they decided to tack on their insistence that America or our government in Washington essentially provide amnesty for these people in America who are under the program called DACA. And again, DACA was an unconstitutional order that was put in place by President Obama, where he basically said it, it, it stands for deferred action, uh, deferred um, action on childhood arrivals. All it really means is if you came to America as a child, your parents brought you here, you're not here legally, you have no legal status, that you could register as a DACA person and be able to stay here legally, and you periodically re-register. You had to meet some criteria. But the point is, these people are here, and this and President Obama admitted publicly many times he had no authority to put DACA in place, but he did anyway because he, he couldn't get he couldn't follow the Constitution and get the elected members of Congress who are chosen by we the people to do what he wanted. So he just did it on his own. But the reason this has come to a head right now is that President Trump has said you know, we're not going to perpetuate this unconstitutional DACA order. So we're going to have um, Congress has to come up with a plan. Well, the Republicans have come up with a plan that gives these people under DACA. And again, DACA is a subset of the larger group called the Dreamers. Dreamers, just a name the Democrats thought up. But the Dreamers is the idea of people who are, you know, are here illegally and dream, dream of become citizens someday and they're, and they're of the youthful age. The point of all this is the Democrats who got everything they wanted in the the spending bill, would not sign on unless Congress agreed to give DACA, uh, to to extend DACA. And ultimately what the Democrats want is voting rights, for they want these people to become citizens, to become voters. The particular issue, though, I want to hit uh, today and talk about with you, make really, really clear, because it's so important. These people who are here under DACA, and there's... 800,000, it's ballpark 800,000. The people who are here as dreamers, 3.6 million people, 3.6 million. All of them together are ones that the Democrats want to have some path to almost immediate citizenship. On top of that, 
all of those people would then have the right to use the immigration laws we have in America so they could bring people, their own relatives from countries far away, from uh, wherever the countries are through our chain migration, federal, still in federal law, um, to, and, and others would arrive through diversity um, visas being granted. So the point is, this is a massive new group of people that Democrats are lobbying to have essentially given a fast track to citizenship. I'm going to tell you why this is so important. We talked about this in this last week, last week on this show, this idea that the Republicans are trying to come up with a comprehensive, substantive, serious, responsible immigration reform plan. Not comprehensive immigration, which is always meant to mean essentially legalize everyone who's here, but a comprehensive, serious, substantive plan. They have come up with one, sponsored by Representative Goodlatte. It's a great bill. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, we have a summary up. We have analysis up of it. It's a very, very good bill. But where we are right now is the Democrats would rather shut down government. And this is a time they shut down government over these DACA people. And I want to tell you why I said before the break that Senegal, the country of Senegal, ties in to this analysis. And this goes back to the power and responsibility of women to nurture and protect this country. In fact, I often say in my speeches, I would love all patriots to feel like we have a job to nurture and protect America, similar to the way you feel about your own children, your best friends, your parents, your grandchildren, You have a duty to nurture this country. So this past week, since the discussion we had a week ago on the show, there was an article posted, and I put it out on on Twitter and Facebook and on my website, but it's an article by a woman who spent a semester in the Peace Corps, spent a year in the Peace Corps, right after college, in the country of Senegal. And Senegal is in West Africa. It's majority Muslim. It's extremely poor. And what she wrote about in this article was how as a young cherubic, you know, just out of college, idealistic person, she wanted to go to Senegal and help these people. And she did. She went and spent a year and she made friends there and she lived with a family. But she observed firsthand the culture in Senegal, the culture created by Islam, which, for example, had men with four or more wives or up to four wives uh, they all the women did all the work. The men were lazing around. They were extremely impoverished. The social standards of behavior were very, very different. The social expectation of how you treat your family, what's right and wrong. What she what she came to realize, she gelled down. This great article was the culture of Western civilization. The, even the most basic idea that says, like we have accepted in America that we all are endowed by our creator with certain rights, inalienable rights, that we have the right to live in liberty. These kind of whole, our basic idea of the, the meaning of our culture is completely absent in Senegal and many, many other countries. Now, she talked about in the small village where she was, where people would uh, didn't have any facilities to use, so they would do their, uh, relieve themselves in public everywhere, So she was warned by a Peace Corps doctor, it's a fecalized environment, recognizing that so much human debris, human um, waste, was in the air, by the side of the road, in the sidewalk, everywhere you went, it was in the air. Be very careful, don't even drink the water, you know, I mean, it was that level. Now, this is, folks, I'm saying all this to say that there are countries that really do live in horrible conditions, and people do. And in America, we do want to help them. We do. 
we should, for example, try to help introduce Western standards of sanitation, of civilized behavior. Addition to, in addition to all that kind of behavior, there was societal behavior that included that it was absolutely, it, it, like she gave an example, this young woman gave an example of an America everyone knows, and it's a Judeo-Christian value, thou shalt not steal. You just don't take other people's stuff. Not that there isn't any theft, but we all know it's wrong. We agree it's wrong. It is so normalized in Senegal uh, because of poverty, because of the teachings, the culture that has been ingrained in that country for, for centuries, that it's perfectly normal to steal. In fact, you are expected to steal for your family, that you need to do that. If you get a job, the purpose of a job is so you have access to stuff to, for, so you can steal it and take it home to your family. She described many other aspects of the culture of Senegal. And folks, this is true of cultures around the world. And what her point was, her title of her article was, What I Learned in the Peace Corps in Africa, Trump is Right. And she's getting at the notion, as we are at this time, when we are reexamining our refugee policy, reexamining our immigration policy, we need to be protectors, guardians, nurturers of the civilization we've created in America. And if you bring untold millions from countries all over the world with no expectation or demand of assimilation, of, of in any sense that the people coming here want to embrace Western culture and our standards, our culture, that we are really surrendering our country. We are surrendering our job as citizens to stand up and protect this country. So I, I say this really especially for women because I know we see these pictures of starving children and, and impoverished and people living in poverty, and we want to help, and we should help. But we need to be supporting the people in Washington who are trying to shape immigration policy around the idea that we must recognize not all civilizations, not all cultures, not all countries are like America. In fact, most are not. And our job is to preserve our culture through the policies that we have in place surrounding immigration. Okay, we're going to zip off to break. Here we come back. We have a great guest joining us, David McIntosh, president of the Club for Growth, to talk about the Congress is talking about earmarks again. Thought we'd get rid of those. Come right back. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether in the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. 
IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back. I'm so glad you tuned in tonight to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. And as I mentioned before the break, we have a great guest joining us this segment. His name is David McIntosh. And uh, since I didn't get a chance to tell you before the break, he is the president of the Club for Growth. Um, he's a former congressman, served uh, Indiana's second district in Congress uh, for six years, 1995 to 2001. And I really, I'm just so been so impressed with Club for Growth over the years that I want to um, have him on. And I do want to get to some substantive questions, but first I want to say hello and, um, and hi, David. Do we have David online? Yes. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm very well. So glad you could join us. So. I will tell you, the Club for Growth is kind of—I um, I quoted different things that the Club for Growth says over the, year in this, over the years in this show, but I'd love if we could just start, because you're president of Club for Growth. 
What is the purpose of Club for Growth? If you tell our listeners about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, Our mission essentially is to promote free market, uh, limited government, and and we do that through our um, not-for-profit. And then we have two affiliated PACs that we use to elect uh, champions for those issues. Basically, uh, we use it. The whole process is to help the Republicans stay loyal to the Republican principles of lower taxes, less spending, and limited government. And uh, over the years, we've elected people like, uh, well, Vice President Pence when he ran for Congress, uh, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, uh, and dozens of members of the House, and at this count, um, 15 different senators. And, And then we encourage them to go and fight the battle on Capitol Hill. I love that. And, you know, I, I mentioned I was emailing with your assistant telling her different things I wanted to talk with you about. And I, I do want to start with something that's really big in the news right now and get your, your thinking uh, on it. Uh, and then I want to go back and just talk basically about the virtues of economic growth. But the specific thing I wanted to ask you about is um, there has been discussion in the last several weeks. In fact, President Trump made an allusion to, or I guess he said, we, that they're interested in looking at a return to the use of earmarks. And earmarks being, um, I'll let you define in a moment, but uh, we got rid of earmarks in the year 2010 uh, because it was viewed to be an unwise or an un, not economically healthy, wise way to for Congress to do spending. But I know that Club for Growth has taken a position, <clears throat> in fact, wrote a letter to the president urging that the, uh, we not re-embrace earmarks. So would you tell us, please, what, what is the reason that Club for Growth is so opposed to earmarks? Yes, Debbie. And what happened back when earmarks were very prevalent is they became the fuel for larger and larger spending. Uh, members from both parties, Republicans and Democrats, would um, basically find a spending bill And then oftentimes it would never come up for a vote. It would be like secret report language between the Congress and the agency directing the agency to spend money in that member's district. Maybe the famous one was building the bridge to nowhere in Alaska. Yep. Um, But like parking garages, uh, grants to universities. Now, these things could have been merit worthy, but what the ban on earmarks says is Congress should appropriate the money, give guidance and direction to the agencies, but let the agencies make the specific decision about how to spend it. That way Congress is, it it doesn't become a fuel for, okay, if you're for my earmark, I'll be for your earmark, and we'll add even more money to the spending bill. That was a great description. I want to go back and make sure about something. So, uh, because I do want to ask you, so suppose that you are in a district and you have, you're a member of Congress, you have something in your district that really is a legitimate, justifiable expenditure uh, from the federal coffers, and you have been telling your constituents, I'm going to go there and fight for whatever it is, the thing that you really, really want. When earmarks existed, you could kind of horse trade and say, well, to Congressman so-and-so, I'll vote for your deal or I'll go along if you go with mine. But what is the way that you're supposed to get funding for really important things, legitimate expenditures in your district if you don't do earmarks? What's the method? So what this does is forces the congressman to be for spending that is in the general interest um, so that it, it could be a program. Um, such as the highway program, building highways. And in our view, the best thing to do is 
take the federal money and grant it to the states and let them pick the individual projects because they're accountable to the people directly. Now, that does take the congressman out of the equation, but frankly, what he or she should be doing is setting out what's in the whole national interest, how much do we need to spend for highways in our example, and then let the local governments decide which projects should go forward. Um, there are ways that congressmen can influence it. Um, you can write a letter to the agency. They pay attention because they know their budget's set by Congress. And you can have oversight. If, if you really think an agency is not following the guidance of Congress and building a project that they were supposed to build, you can bring them up for a hearing and grill them and say, well, what's been the delay? Why haven't you done this? And I, I did that a lot when I was in Congress. We used oversight to get the, the federal government to be more responsive to the will of the people. Some congressmen could be judicious using earmarks, um, but generally what we saw is it became kind of this uh, – Senator McCain's called it a gateway drug to big spending. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. When I left Congress, I got an offer from a lobbying firm that quickly became one of the biggest lobbying firms in Washington, and they specialized in taking former members and former staffers, teaming them up with local mayors and hospitals and universities, and then going to that member of Congress and say, here, put this earmark in, and then it'll help this, this entity. And the universities would pay these lobbyists, the former member, tons of money. I'd be making three times what I made in Congress if I were doing that. I chose not to do that. I chose to go with a law firm and practice law. Um, but that lobbying firm is out of business when they stopped earmarks. So it, it created this huge cottage industry on K Street of lobbying for bigger and bigger government. And we need to just keep the ban and let Congress set the general priorities. They have a tough time anyway. This, this whole spending bill they're fighting on now, there's not one cut that President Trump put forward in his budget in this spending bill. And I, I was yeah. shocked when I found that out. Um, and, and they got distracted by the DACA and the build the wall. And then their big spending tendencies took over on everything else. And, and they just kept the, the whole big spending the way it was before President Trump was elected. I was going to get to that, and I do want to in a moment, but one more thing I want to make sure for our listeners. I noticed that the, the uh, term being used, because earmarks be kind, of, kind of came like a dirty word, but they, so the expression being used now is legislating specifically, and that's supposed to signal, it's not exactly the same. I mean, am I correct that that is a term they're really using when they really mean earmarks? Um, yes, that's what they're trying to say, because they don't want to call it earmarks or one of them was telling me, oh, we're just going to do it on flood control projects uh, because those are really important. My answer to them was, if they're important, haul up the Army Corps of Engineers to Congress for a hearing and ask them why they're not getting the job done. Um, and, and they'll try to find ways around it. I think the worst part about it is when it's not in legislation. It's in a report language somewhere directing that the spending go to a particular place. Um, at least now the proponents of bringing it back recognize that they'll have to put it in legislation, bring it for a vote. Frankly, I'd be most comfortable if, if there could be an amendment on the floor to strike it if people didn't want to do that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I was reading some of the uh, people who were defending the idea of returning to some form of earmarks. 
uh, our, my congressman here from Texas, Pete Sessions, was quoted in a CNN article where he was talking about that you can embrace this new idea of legislating specifically and you can still be draining the swamp. Because he said, you know, they're going to have, um, it wouldn't be earmarks because there'd be no surprises, no secrets, more transparent, must attach names. The, the members couldn't do it privately, had to do it publicly. And, um, and they would also not be able to airdrop projects. And he was talking about, I guess, dropping some expenditure into the bill after it would, um, after I guess it had already been approved. And so people didn't recognize that it was coming. Is that right? Actually, I don't have a minute in this segment, yeah. too, but can you quick tell us what he meant by airdrop? Do you know that term? I, I think that's right, that they would stick it in after it had been voted on in the House and the Senate. They could put it in the conference committee and never have it debated on the floor. That, I think that's what he was referring to. Um, my problem, and, and Pete and I served together, we were friends, but as Rules Committee Chairman, he moved in a direction that has actually made this worse in that we used to have what were called open rules on all the spending ones. So every mm-hmm. line could be debated, amended on the floor. Now, you didn't take the time to do it on every one, but that meant if, if there was one of these special deals in there, you could go through and find it and bring it to a vote on the floor of whether to keep it. Well, Pete has started to move to semi-open or closed rules where he protects some of the provisions like that in the rules committee. And so that creates a problem if you have this specific, if you have his approach for earmarks and then they're protected in the rules committee, it never ends up on a vote on the House floor. And so members and basically the public often never hears about it. David McIntosh, I'm loving these explanations and the fact you served in Congress. You actually have kind of the inside scoop. We need to zip off to a break. When we come back, I want to talk about what's so great about economic growth. And I'm not kidding. That's a serious question. Folks, come right back to America. Can we talk? America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. 
If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with David McIntosh. He is the president of the Club for Growth in Washington, D.C., a fabulous free market pro-economic growth um, organization that just does all sorts of great things. And they basically work uh, to promote free enterprise through uh, key vote alerts, letting people know uh, they're certain votes in Congress that you got to go a certain way if you're going to be defending free, uh, you know, free markets and prosperity and opportunity and all that. They have congressional scorecards, great, great, great source if you're trying to size up somebody and decide whether to donate to their campaign. And they also do these, anyway, so they just do a lot of great things in Washington. But I wanted to talk about something really basic, and I know uh, at the close of the last segment, you might have thought, what is she, why does she want to talk about economic growth. But I have to tell you, I, uh, David, this show used to be called Ladies Can We Talk? Because that was the name of my book, Ladies Can oh, We Talk. okay. Yeah. And I talked to women about why you should vote 
for free markets, limited government, that it's better, it blesses everyone from the, the poorest among us to everyone, That's, that, that if you care about poor people, vote for free markets and freedom and, and, and economic growth. And so um, anyway, um, so I want to talk about that again because I do think some women, I mean, I've read way too much data about what inspires women to vote a certain way. Um, they tend to vote out of compassion and concern for the poor and a sense, wanting a sense of fairness. And I love making the argument, I think you can do it way better than I ever have, the argument that economic growth, economic opportunity is what helps everyone best. So now that I've told you that's the answer you have to give, <laughs> but seriously, why do you, what, what is the great thing about economic growth for the average Joe? You, you said it very, very well, Debbie. And, and I, what I find is um, Republicans, I'll, those of us who are out there in the public life, guys, tend to think in statistics and, and how many jobs are going to create, what will the GDP be, and what we should do is focus on uh, the, the audience of average Americans who are living their life, they're raising a family, they're going to work, they're struggling to pay bills, they, they are not focused on these big debates coming out of Washington, but growth has a huge impact on them. And what growth basically means is the economy is thriving. There are more jobs for people to go to work to do. Uh, prices come down on goods because there's more competition. And with competition, you, you get people saying, well, buy mine. I'll give you a discount on that. And the stock market goes up. And so savings accounts, 401Ks, the college education account will grow and grow Every aspect of our life is improved uh, when we have growth in the economy. And I would argue it is the most compassionate thing for those who are less fortunate. Um, You look at America and what we're able to do to people who are on the lower end of the income scale versus any other country, even Europe and their countries, but particularly third world countries. Growth and economic prosperity is what lifts people out of poverty. It gives them a chance to go to work, to pursue their dreams, and to earn a living that they can take care of their family. And and that's why any policy that will expand the growth in our economy is something that's going to bless everybody. Um, now, people who are rich do make money when you have growth because they've invested their money in the capital. But what they are doing is putting their money into the economy, and that capital lets a factory buy more machines. Or you might have seen um, after this tax cut, Apple announced they were going to build a big new plant in the U.S. rather than overseas because we have a more favorable tax rate. That capital they brought from overseas where it had been stranded because they didn't want to pay the really high taxes here in the U.S., and they brought it. They're going to bring it here. They're going to invest and build a new facility that will employ 20,000 people. That capital is needed in order to build the plant, the offices, and buy the computers and everything so that people have a place to go to work. It all ends up circulating around together for people to be better off. Unfortunately, when growth stops or is slow, it works the other way. It, it, you know, a company stops hiring somebody. That means somebody can't find a new job. Another company lays people off. And then you've got greater unemployment. People have difficulty paying their bills. Um, it, it becomes harder to live. So 
it can go both ways, and if we're not careful, what we saw the last eight years under President Obama and the end of President Bush was kind of stagnant growth, and that meant it was hard for people to invest in their dreams and keep their jobs, and and young people come out of college had the highest unemployment rate for a long time in our country. Now we're starting to see in the last year real return, uh, sort of a bounce in people's step, an opportunity. Um, My daughter's at college. She's getting flooded with people who want to interview people coming out of college, and I, I think the the opportunities come with that growth. Wow, you said that so well. It's funny because I have it in front of me. I was going to run through some of the things about Apple and all they're going to do. In fact, I tweeted out after, after um, there, I, I can't remember the exact quote Tim Cook said, but anyway, I, I tweeted out some quote and just said basically, you know, turns out even even they figured out like trickle down kind of works. I mean, I mean the left, yeah. always, but I mean the the I I just think this is so important as I say, especially for women because I get that. I mean I you know I will confess that in my young days, really through the end of law school, I voted Democrat, and it was entirely out of just wanting to be sure that the poor were cared for. It was it was a not economically wise thinking, but it was just compassion. I get that mentality. But I love learning from my business lawyer husband that I became a, you know, once I became a lawyer at a big law firm, I, I soon figured out that I liked keeping most of my pay. But um, I did. I, I think that, that that transition for women is really crucial in 2018 because there is so much agitation on the American left about, you know, every root word that President Trump says they think wasn't polite enough or he shouldn't have said this, shouldn't have done that. And there's a lot of agitation on the left that to argue that women should vote Democrat, should vote for you know, bigger social programs, more government assistance. And I, it's like voting to shoot yourself in the foot. I mean, I keep trying to, the economic growth is a, it is not, because I, I do have p- friends who will say, it's like, you know, well, I, I care about people, so I, I don't really care those big corporations, what tax rates they get. Well, look what Tim Cook is going to do because they got a tax cut. That's right. And and it, it corporations themselves, in the end, don't really pay those taxes. They pass it on one way or the other. Um, they either pass it on to their customers with higher prices they pass it on to their employees with lower wages. I mean, it, it, so cutting those corporate rates benefits everyone because they pass on the benefit of keeping the money, either investing it in the plant, higher wages. A lot of them are giving bonuses because they've, they've, the pay, wage rates have not gone up that high in the last 10 years. Um, yeah, it, it's really important for everybody. My hope is, um, and, and, the good thing about women voters is they they have a good sense about what is real there. My, my wife, Ruthie, can sense out when somebody is kind of snowing you and trying to sell you something <laughs> yeah. faster than I can. And I, I do think they will see, okay, maybe things are a little better off. Now, I don't blame them for finding some of the things that are said offensive and, and some of the tweets. But I would just urge everybody, look at what progress is being made for the country. And, you know, it, it, if we had great style and elegance, but, but our kids couldn't find work after they go to college, that's not any good either. So um, 
what I do is focus on on the results and and try to ignore the tweets and everything like that. <laughs> I totally agree. I have to say, they're just at the end of the day, you have to look: is your life been made better? Is your is your family income a, a little more a little better because of tax cuts? Is your are you feeling more secure about the job, the job opportunities for yourself, your children, your your spouse? And I think that security, whether you you just have to look past personality to the substance. And I actually think that I mean, it, it's an odd thing because people who love President Trump and the prime Mary and all along, they aren't bothered at all. And so, and I want to urge a lot of women just, okay, you don't have to love the language, but look at the results. And speaking of which, you have on your website, and I want to be sure and direct our listeners to this, on the Club for Growth website, There, I think I took it off of there, it's called Heading into 2018, and it's yeah. just a list of all the accomplishments, or where we are so far with the change in attitude and economics in the administration, and then what we're looking for, what you're looking forward to. So I don't know if you are familiar with the piece I'm speaking of. It's on y'all on your website. Yes, yeah. yes. And what what that basically lays out is um, we've we've had huge accomplishments last year. We began the deregulation in critical areas in energy, in uh, internet and communications. We cut taxes um, in a way that will let enormous growth throughout the economy. We've done a little bit of repealing of the government health care. That's still unfinished business. And that Amen. One of the things we pointed <laughs> to uh, was coming up next year, we have to make sure and continue to stop the subsidy of the insurance industry that was, frankly, making huge profits on Obamacare while at the same time charging everybody higher and higher premiums for their insurance because they're monopolies in many states. And so we've got to stop the subsidies and create competition among insurance companies so that people will have the benefit of getting good insurance but at a lower premium, lower cost to them. Absolutely. I'm going to jump in and say this, what you're speaking, what we're talking about, and again, if you're just tuning in because uh, this is just a a great interview with lots of information. It's David McIntosh, who's president of the Club for Growth. And I really urge you to go to that website, and you can read a lot of their policy papers, their blog posts. But you can also join Club for Growth. And we have like a minute here, but if you could tell our, our listeners how do you join and what's the, what's the benefit of joining. Yes. Go to clubforgrowth.org. Sign up. Uh, there's no cost. But immediately after that, you'll get alerts about bills in Congress that are going on that impact the economy. And even more importantly, you'll get from our PACs a list of candidates that we have vetted. We've interviewed them. We've researched every vote they've had. We've made sure they're really solid, good conservatives, and we've endorsed them in this election. We've got four Senate candidates, three of them challenging Democrats in states that President Trump won. And we've got seven House members. We'll probably have close to 20 by the time we're done. These are men and women who are real champions for freedom and individual liberty and less government and and more economic growth. David McIntosh, I cannot thank you enough. Folks, uh, go to their website, Club for Growth. David McIntosh, thank you so much for calling in today. Just fabulous talking with you. My pleasure, Debbie. Keep up your great work for freedom. It, It is making a difference, and I thank you. Thank you, sir. Folks, come right back, and we're going to do a cruise to the news at the top of the hour. Don't go away. No. 